Uh, what does it look like to be good neighbors? How do we do that for the sake of the gospel? And so um, I mean that today will be a little bit harder topic. And so I am asking you for grace up front uh, and that God will kind of do something within that. So uh, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them. Uh, we are going to be jumping all over the place today. So um, you can hold off on turning anywhere right now. But uh, there should be a Bible under every second and third chair somewhere around you. Uh, if you physically do not own a Bible, I would like you to take and keep that. Uh, that's our gift to you. We want you to have the word to be able to read it. Um, and so please, please take that. If you would like a nicer Bible, at least once a month, somebody leaves a Bible here, okay? And it's not really stealing if you put it to good use and it's the word of God, all right? That's from scripture. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but it will give us a couple of more uh, miles per gallon better in our trailer. So go ahead and take those, all right? Um, you can also follow along on your smartphone if you wish. Uh, if you have a Uversion app underneath the tab section, uh, click live, type in the well Austin. You'll be able to follow along that way. Uh, there are notes, uh, places for the scriptures and poll questions. If you do not have that app or do not know what I'm talking about, but you still want to follow along on your phone, you can take this link and put it right into your browser and you'll be able to follow along that that way. Uh, we want you to have the word in front of you, okay? We want you to, however method you might do it, we want you to see the word and see that this is not the words of man that we are talking, but the words of God and that we would submit underneath that, okay? So, Last week, um, in the middle of our Our Neighboring series, Bob kind of hit on the time barrier, right? And how often we, we busy our lives so much so that it's actually hard for us to do anything that God would call us to do that is both right and good. And so we fill up our life and fill up our life, and there's not really a lot of margin for us to be able to do things that Scripture calls us to do, like be a good neighbor and build bridges for the sake of the gospel. This week, okay, another barrier that we have, I think, time is one of our biggest barriers, but another barrier that we have toward being good stewards of the gospel that God has given us is actually our own personal fear, okay? Many of us allow our fear, all right, of man, our fear of failure, whatever it may be, to kind of stunt our uh, uh, responsibility and even our ability to serve and to love and to build bridges for relationships that we would hope would uh, flesh out into the gospel. And so fear is actually a good natural human emotion, right? Like, like fear is something that's good. Like it is good to be afraid of something that could really hurt you. Okay. Those are really good things. However, we know that many times what we do is we allow our fears to actually kind of overemphasize in our brain and we make things out to be a heck of a lot worse than they actually are in real life. Right? Y'all tracking with that? Am I the only one that does that? Okay, like, like so frequently I find that I allow this, this hypothetical situation or, or something that I don't even know about to like become a fear all of a sudden and it kind of overemphasizes, okay? For example, I have a huge fear of rats, okay? Like a huge, huge, like, like a massive fear of rats. Like I could literally vomit right now if I start thinking about rats too much, okay? And so I'm gonna give you an example, but I'm gonna try to remove myself from the example because it's gross, okay? Um, if I ever see a rat while I am preaching, the well may be canceled as a church, okay? Not just service, all right? Now, here's why, okay? Here's the story. When I was young, I was five years old, and we lived, we lived in the hood, all right? And so we didn't have much, and we had rat problems in our apartment. Um, when I say we lived in the hood, like, we lived there, okay? We were on government subsidized housing, you know, my next door neighbor was a heroin addict, and there was just rats all over the place. Like, that's just one of the things about living where I lived at. And so uh, we had this rat problem, but I'm five. I don't really understand what's actually going on there, okay? And so uh, either the landlord 
my mom or somebody laid down all this rat poison. And, you know, I just remember, don't eat this stuff. Okay, that's pretty much all I remember from that. If you eat this, you will very likely die. Don't eat this, okay? And that's kind of just what my recollection was. Well, one day, I'm coming home from my grandparents' house, and uh, I walk uh, into uh, the, the living room, and I'm sitting down, and I see all of a sudden on the floor, like this little toy. Now, we had all these different pets in our house, okay? We had like birds, fish, uh, a cat, like just different pets. Like my mom is a big animal lover. Matter of fact, if you're her friend on Facebook, she loves fitness and she loves animals and you've probably unfollowed her because you're sick of both of those, all right? Like she loves them. And she also listens to the podcast. I shouldn't say stuff like that, sorry. Um, Okay, so she had this huge, okay? I love my mom, she knows that, all right? So she had this, you know, all these animals. So we had toys all over the place, like animal toys, you know? So we come home from my grandparents' house and I ran over and I saw one of our toy, uh, uh, like a little toy mouse that our cat played with and I picked it up and it was warm, okay? And I could feel, I'm about to throw up. I don't know why I'm telling this story. I could feel like the fur or the hair, whatever that is, of like the rat, but I squeezed it when I picked it up. Like I went to grab it to throw it or something and like intestine came out of its mouth. I'm not joking. This is not an exaggeration, okay? And I got so scared that I was shaking, but I couldn't drop it out of my hand. I just went, ah! all right? And my mom came over probably a lot higher because I was five, all right? My mom came over and she smacked it out of my hand. And then we went and like washed my hand. And I like cried uncontrollably for like days, okay? Now, I have a legitimate fear of rats, Amen. Like, if that happened to you, you would be afraid of rats too. That's gross. Like, somebody went out and threw up. I saw them, okay? Um, My fear is legitimate. However, okay, however, I have allowed this fear to actually conquer me in a lot of ways, all right? Like, if there's a situation where there might, maybe, possibly could be a rat, you need to call another man to do something because I ain't doing it, right? Like, Like, if somebody broke into my house, okay, I think about it like this. Somebody broke into my house, like, somebody would die that night, all right? Like, I would try to stab him, he'd get shot, something would happen because I'm gonna protect my family, all right? If a rat broke into my house and started eating little baby Kyria, I mean, I love her, right? And Natalie's old enough to fend for herself, all right? And so I don't know what I would do, okay? Um, I think that many of us, all right, we have the same fear of something, right? Like for some of you, it's spiders or clowns or, and it's probably like a, a unreasonable fear. Like I shouldn't be that afraid of rats and I'm overemphasizing, but just a little tiny bit. Like I mean most of what I said, right? Like rats are terrifying to me, okay? Fear though should not prevent us from being biblical, Right? Like, when the Bible lays out something that we are supposed to be doing, our fear should not overcome or usurp God's word because God's word is over our fears. And so when it comes to being a good neighbor, reaching out to those with the gospel, we cannot allow fear to control us. We should not allow fear to super glue our lips together that we never open our mouth about the gospel of Jesus Christ. But so often we do that. Okay, and so here's what I want to do today, okay, because this is an honest thing. Like, I think a lot of us have fear, and it's okay, but I want to look at what Scripture says and how we can actually overcome this and not allow it to uh, supersede our obedience to the gospel, all right? For you type A personalities, I literally never do this, so this is my gift to you, all right? This is like late Valentine's gift, okay? I'm going to lay out my outline just a little bit, okay, for you, so we know kind of where we're going today, all right? The first thing I want to do is I want to look at what Scripture says about fear, okay, and how we can overcome that. 
The second thing I want to look at is uh, uh, why we should not fear, particularly when we understand God's role in our salvation, okay? And the third thing I want to do is look at Christ as our example and how we should respond because of Jesus. Sound good? All right. Um, just a warning too, we're going to flip all over the New Testament today, so get your speedy fingers ready on your phone or your Bible, all right? Um, how many people in here, okay, would say that fear is probably the biggest reason why you do not share the gospel on a more regular basis? So maybe fear of like rejection, fear of not knowing what to say, uh, uh, fear of some. how many would you say that? Okay, there we go, all right. Hey, keep those hands up real quick, okay? Y'all are like, oh God, <laughs> all right, fear, okay. I want you to look around real quick. I'm being serious. Look around. Like, raise your hands, okay? We have pastors. My hand is actually raised, okay? We have people on staff, right? Chris about to come on staff. We have elders in the room that I'm looking at whose hands are up, okay? We have people that share the gospel on a very regular basis. Like, you can put them down now. Fear is something that controls a lot of us, right? We have key leaders. Like, it's not just you that has this fear. Matter of fact, at least 80% of the room just had their hands up. 10% were lying, okay? And 10% have found a lot of confidence for some reason. That's good. That's where we want to be, all right? We want to have confidence. But I just want you to think, like, it is, it is okay to understand there's fear there. We just have to know what to do with that and how to overcome that in a lot of ways. This is part of the reason, by the way, why gathering together is so important because you realize that you're not alone, okay? If you think that you were the only person that is afraid and you're just some weak baby Christian, right, that can't actually do anything, you're probably going to stunt yourself and you're going to overemphasize fear and you're never going to share the gospel. If you realize that, shoot, three of the four elders that were in here had their hands raised and a lot of key leaders and like this is a serious thing, all of a sudden you can start to find confidence with one another, encouraging one another, helping us learn how to share our faith. Just in case you think it's just us, like you, maybe you think we're in like a weak generation, like we're just cowards as Americans or something like that. I want you to look at this table real quick, okay? I just went through and I looked at what I thought was, uh, I just, I kind of went through and thought, man, who is afraid in the Bible, okay? So you have Moses, Exodus 3, right? The 12 spies of Canaan, right? You have Joshua, Gideon, David, Elijah, Jeremiah. Now listen, except for the 12 spies, all of these men were so afraid that God himself had to come down and give them a word from his very lips, like whether in the burning bush with Moses or, or, or rather uh, at night with Joshua in the middle of the field or, or Elijah on the mountain when God comes through in a whisper and says, what are you running for? Like these men literally had to be visited by God. They were so afraid, okay? Esther, Queen Esther, right? Peter, the first pastor over the, over the church. Timothy, right? One of Paul's main uh, mentees. I mean, these are people in the hall of faith, aren't they? Like when we get up to heaven and we see the hall of faith, the Christian hall of fame, all right? Like these men and women are gonna be in that, right? Like they did powerful things, yet they had fear. You are not alone in your fear. However, with most of these examples, minus the 12 spies or 10 of the 12, right? They actually overcame their fear somehow and they were used by God in mighty, mighty ways for the sake of the gospel, Okay, how is it that we overcome our fear? So let's go, uh, 2 Timothy chapter one. We're gonna start there today. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter one, and we're gonna pick it up in verse six. This is Paul writing to his mentee, Timothy, who we just had on that list, all right? Starting in verse six. It says, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. 
For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, okay? And so, according to this passage, when you are thinking about sharing the gospel, okay, where it says, do not be ashamed about the testimony of Jesus, is what Paul says there. So when you're thinking about sharing, when you're thinking about believing even in the gospel, like maybe you're wrestling with the faith, like uh, 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 the scriptures say that God did not give us a spirit of fear, okay? So, where must fear come from then? Okay, where must fear come from? Satan, what else? Ourself, our flesh, what else? The world, right? Our sin, like it must come from somewhere else, okay? But it doesn't come from God, scripture says. So it's coming from somewhere negative, like all those things that we just named are negative examples, our sin or, or Satan, our flesh. Like those are negative examples, okay? God did not give you the spirit of fear. So when fear comes up, it must be from something else. Now, we're not talking about instinctual fear, okay? We're not talking about like things that would keep you safe from danger. But fear that, that shuts our mouths to telling about the goodness of God, this is not an instinctual type of fear. This is fear coming from somewhere else, not from God, it is us magnifying things or Satan magnifying things and it's creating lies and excuses for us not to share about the beauty, the testimony of Jesus, the power of God that is able to save us. It doesn't come from him. It doesn't come from God. It comes from somewhere else. And to be honest, many times when we don't share our faith, uh, it's just fear. It's magnifying the possible response of somebody else. Right? Like, like we think if uh, uh, the worst possible scenario will happen every time we share the gospel, right? Like they're going to pull out a machete and cut off our arm or something, right? Like, like that's kind of what we create in our mind, right? And we would never say that, but that's what starts happening, right? It's like uh, we, we, we magnify things that aren't actually there. And we do this all the time, not just in sharing the gospel. We just do this in general. That's kind of who we are as humans, right? Like when I'm at home by myself, everything is magnified, Amen. Yeah, y'all can track with that, right? Like, like when I'm uh, uh, looking out my window at night and I'm home by myself, I literally imagine somebody like looking back at me and like I get scared, okay? <laughs> Some of you aren't gonna take anything away from today except for that image and you'll hate the well for that. I apologize, all right? But once again, like, like, that, like some sort of fear is natural, okay? But to submit to fear, that type of fear where we're magnifying something that's not true, especially when it comes with sharing the gospel, loving our neighbor, being close to those around us, that's disobedience. Because God very clearly calls us, we talk about all the time, to go out and to share the faith, to make disciples of all nations, to proclaim the goodness, the excellencies, the mercies of God. Fear cannot be our master that whips us into silence. We have to overcome fear. We are not a slave of fear anymore. We are now bond servants of Jesus Christ. We are committed to him as our good master, as somebody who loves us, who's gentle with us, not under the chains and the yoke of fear. We have to be bold, okay? Do you know, very interestingly, only once in uh, the whole New Testament is there a prayer for uh, an open door of sharing your faith? Okay, only once, the whole New Testament, uh, Paul prays in Colossians 4 that uh, he would pray that there'd be open doors to share the faith. Now, that's not a bad thing, okay? It's in the Bible, so it's a good thing to pray, (laughs) 
Okay, like it's good to pray for open doors. But I think the reason that we don't see that prayer more frequently is because everywhere is an open door. There's so much brokenness and need in the world for Jesus to come redeem. The whole world is an open door. We just need to walk through it. What you do see all the time, though, is you actually see the apostles, Paul himself, praying for boldness. Over and over and over again, you see this prayer for boldness, that they would overcome their fear, that they would be bold for the sake of the gospel, okay? And so it's mentioned a bunch in the New Testament. Uh, In fact, 13 times in the book of Acts, it's mentioned, all right? So over and over and over again, as you see the gospel beginning to spread, you see this need, this prayer for boldness, okay? And every one of these uh, occurrences, by the way, in which you're talking about boldness has to do with us sharing the gospel. It's not just us being or living as good Christians, it's us opening our mouths as good Christians, okay? And so let's look at a couple of them. Acts chapter four. Um, we're gonna pick it up in, uh, in verse 12, okay? So this is very early on in the book of Acts. Acts chapter four, verse 12. Peter's in the middle of a long sermon here, okay? And he says, and there is salvation and no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men, which we must be saved. Okay? Then in verse 13 it says, Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated common men. They were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Now, you would think that boldness would turn people off from the gospel. That's usually one of the fears we magnify, right? Like if we're too forward with our faith, then people will just cut our arms off with a machete, right? Like that's what we tend to think of. But ironically in this story, it's their boldness that actually shows there's something else going on in their hearts. Because they're bold, they go, I think these men have been with Jesus. Like it's their boldness that shows that there is something different about who they are, about the gospel, okay? Now, ironically, okay, in this, it did not lead to their conversion, all right? In fact, what it led to was Peter and John getting beat. Some of you are like, I thought you were supposed to be encouraging us. <laughs> I am, okay? But uh, sometimes a Christian life is hard, right? Like sometimes we will be bold and the immediate results won't come out of it. But scroll down to the end there in Acts chapter 4, the end of this chapter. They were, they, uh, were in prison, they were beat, then they were released from prison. And now they're meeting back together as a group of Christians. And cha- starting in verse 29, it says, And now, Lord... Look upon their threats and grant your servants to continue to speak your word with all what? Boldness. Look at what they just did to me, God. Look at the things that are happening. Now, please give me boldness. Now, if you're praying for boldness, what are you probably not? Bold, right? You probably have some fear. Like, they may have been a little bit shaken. Like, they just hit a hard patch, okay? But he's saying, hey, look, grant your servants boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs or wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. God answered their prayer. They continued in boldness. Boldness is what helps them overcome this fear and actually go back and share the gospel. Flip forward a little bit to Acts chapter 19. It's a Peter story. Here's a Paul story, okay? Paul's in Ephesus here. Acts chapter 19, verse 8. And he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way, the way was a name for Christians back in that day, 
before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Because of Paul's bold proclamation, okay, all of the nation, all the Jews and Greeks that were in Asia actually heard the gospel because of Paul's boldness. Now, once again, though, it doesn't tell us that they all converted, right? Like it doesn't say, and then everybody got saved and the whole world became better, right? Like that's not what this text reads, okay? It actually reads, they just all heard about it. Matter of fact, a lot of them were rejecting this and were becoming stubborn and were beginning to speak evil about Christianity, okay? Now here's why I show you these two examples, because I think that this is very realistic in our culture, right? You may preach the gospel boldly and then nothing may happen. Should that prevent you from preaching the gospel? Like God's command over us is still to go make disciples of all nations, And so I think a lot of times as Americans, we look for results, like how many numbers can I count, how many people are going on, but what God looks for is our faithfulness. Are you being faithful with the gift that he's given you, the word of God? Are you proclaiming the gospel to other people? Are you trying to be bold for the sake of the gospel? Like I wanted to show you two things that don't show that 4,000 people repented, because most of us, that's not our story. And so I think a lot of times we don't see results and then those lack of results create fear in us and that fear then shuts our mouths once again and we become afraid. Sometimes we're bold and nothing much happens. However, the prayer for us is to be a bold people. That's the prayer that's given there, okay? God didn't give us the spirit of fear. 2 Timothy 1 tells us, fear does not come from God. God wants us to have boldness with his story, with his grace, with his mercy. And so we ought to pray for this. Flip forward to uh, Ephesians. So we just read Paul in Ephesians, all right? And then in Ephesians chapter six, pick it up in verse uh, 18. Ephesians chapter six, verse 18. Paul says, praying or pray at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me that words may be given to me in the opening of my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in, in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to say. Like this is what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to speak boldly. And there are times where I don't. I'm in chains right now because of the gospel. And so you know what? Pray for me that I would actually still continue on with this boldly, okay? Now here's what I want you to do right now, okay? This is kind of a, 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 a mid-service. Paul called it TV timeout last week, all right? It's a TV timeout, Okay? I want you to pull out your smartphones, okay? It's one of the few times that I'm just going to allow you to run free on them, all right? Don't go on Facebook and stuff, though, okay? Pull out your smartphones, all right? What I want you to do this week, okay, is a set an alarm for 619, okay, to go off every week. Now, if you're a really early riser, I would make that 619 a.m., okay? Like, if you're usually up at that time, if that sounds like hell to you, okay, like you think that I'm preaching something negative, then do it for p.m., all right? It's okay. But 619, okay, I want you to set it. And what I want you to do is just for this whole week, try to be faithful in this, okay? 619 is for Ephesians 619, where Paul says, pray that I may open my mouth boldly. Pray for the saints, it says, that they may open their mouths boldly, that I may open my mouth boldly, okay? Pray. And so what I want you to do is just for this week, okay? Just up until next Sunday morning even, would you pray for the well that as a church collectively, as a family of God, that we will be bold in the gospel, 
when you hear that alarm go off? And then would you pray for yourself that you would be bold in opening up your lips to share the gospel, that we would actually be biblical, that we would take something that we see in scripture and actually try to live that out in our lives, okay? So as you're setting that, feel free to set that. Um, as you're saying that, I want you to think like, like Paul, his prayer, his desire is that he would be bold here. This must only mean that fear, even for the apostle Paul at times shackled him. Like he was dragging along this fear at times that, that prevented him from fully laying out the gospel as he ought. It's chained to us a lot of times, but Paul is praying for boldness. So listen, if Paul was afraid, listen to me, okay? It is okay to be afraid, okay? Like it is okay to be afraid at times, that's natural. This is going to happen. Satan is lying to us. Your flesh is lying to you. There would be nothing more that Satan would want to do than to prevent people from feeling, experiencing, hearing, believing in the love, the grace, the mercy of the spilled blood of Jesus. There is nothing that Satan would want to do more than that. So of course you'll have fear at times, but we can't let our fear cripple us. We have to pray that the Holy Spirit would give us boldness in the opening of our mouth. Shoot, maybe even praying for boldness kind of scares you. Because you think, if I pray for it, what if I become bold, <laughs> right? And it's okay. It's okay to be afraid, right? But man, we got to walk in obedience, okay? J.R. Vassar, um, a pastor and a writer, says this about sharing our faith. When our pride, he calls it glory hunger in his book, when our, when our pride tempts us to privatize our faith in order to preserve our honor before people, we have lost sight of the worth and preeminence of Jesus and have valued our reputation above his. Our failure to unashamedly align with Jesus on the most sensitive matters of our day through fear of losing face betrays a gross underestimate of the worth of Jesus. Our hope, the great renewal and reward at Jesus' coming, like that's our hope, that the gospel is true, that Jesus is real, that he truly rose from the dead, that by believing in him, this whole world can be changed. Our lives are changed. We overcome addictions. We shed off the shame of sin. We're able to walk in the newness of Christ. That hope, the great renewal and reward that Jesus is coming, the future orientation of our faith is part of our Christian living that I believe is greatly missing in the comfortable West. We are slow to take great risks or to put our reputation at stake for the sake of Jesus and his gospel because we live as if this world is all there is. But being temporarily shamed for Jesus in this world means being eternally celebrated by Jesus in the world to come. Now here's how we, why we often have fear, okay? It's because we don't believe either in the eternality of our souls or we don't believe that it's actually God who saves, okay? We create fear in our mind because we're creating something that's not actually there. And we overemphasize our effort and our role in bringing somebody else to know Jesus. And so as we think about our interaction with them, we kind of overvalue and over uh, uh, exalt our own selves and we undermine what God actually does. So we either don't believe in the eternality of heaven or we create something that's not there. We put too much pressure and emphasis on our role in salvation, okay? So I want to take a very ironic pro approach to overcome our fear, okay? We talked about fear. We talked about the need for boldness. And it would seem like now we say, well, hey, just be obedient to that boldness, okay? But that often creates shame. And we said in week one, shame is a poison from Satan. It will not last a long time. 
It may help you share the gospel tomorrow, but you're not going to share it five years from now because shame doesn't change and alter the heart. The reality of Jesus and the gospel changes and alters our hearts, okay? And so this is going to seem counterintuitive, but I want to hit on this, okay? God is sovereign over salvation, and no one can come to God unless God first draws him, okay? Scripture says that our hearts are dead, Only God can resurrect the dead. Dead hearts cannot believe or speak or do anything. God has to regenerate our heart to open up our heart to give us the ability to believe in him. God has predestined those who would believe in him for salvation. Okay? Yes, I said the word predestined. All right? And I saw three people go, shoot, hot topic. They're awake now, right? (laughs) Okay? I'm going to spend six seconds on this doctrine. All right? And then look at examples of it. Okay? Six seconds. You ready? It's biblical, and it's good, all right? Now, I want to look at this, why it's biblical, why it's good. Now, at some point early next year, okay, uh, we have a couple of books that we're probably going to walk through, but one of them we're for sure going to walk through, and that book has a lot about this doctrine and the beauty and the the scope of it. And so if you wrestle with that, if you're like, I don't really know if I agree with that, we're going to walk through it at some point. But even if you wrestle with it and say, I don't know, I would love to get coffee and kind of walk through this with you in the biblical context, okay? But we will go more into this. I'm not not overpassing this, but for the sake of the sermon, we are just going to kind of high-level hit this, okay? Okay? But I want to look at two passages really quickly and see this is a biblical concept. Okay? I do think that God has given us freedom 100%. I 100% agree with that. Yet, I think in some divine mystery, he works within that freedom to call our dead hearts to himself. And while these two things seem contradictory, they're not. Scripture lays them out over and over again. If you are a Christian, it is because God has chosen you. That should make you want to bow down right now and worship him forever because he chose you. Why? Just like Israel, he said, I didn't choose you because you were a strong nation. In fact, you were the weakest of all nations. I chose you because I have chosen to give my covenant love to you. Like there is nothing that we can do for our salvation that should make us worship God, that he would choose us. Why me? Why would you choose me, God? Should be our question, right? He has chosen us and Once again, if you'd like to chat about that, I would love to. If you're not a Christian, though, it's because you are rejecting the free grace that God gives in the gospel. God says, you can come to me. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Christ so loved the world, the whole world that he died, that whoever believes in him, if you confess with your mouth, if you believe in your heart, right? These are all scripture references we're quoting here. Like, like we have the ability to believe in Jesus. And if we don't, then we are actively rejecting this free gift of the gospel, Okay? And so if, if you're not a Christian, it's because you're rejecting his gift. If you are one, it's because he's called you. Okay? Now, here's why this doctrine should give us such great hope and joy in evangelism and why it should overcome our worrisome and our fearful hearts. Okay? If it is God who does the saving, which it is, we're going to look at it in a second, then none of this is dependent on us. That gives me great hope. Because if Heaven and hell exist if we live forever after we die and that responsibility is on me. That is so utterly terrifying. I wouldn't want to do anything. Because what if I actually move somebody closer in the wrong direction? What if I say something and it pushes them closer toward rejecting the gospel? I would never want to do that. This would terrify me. This would shackle me, right? But a belief in understanding that it is God who draws to himself will actually allow us to overcome this fear that paralyzes. His sheep hear his voice and they come to him. Not to you, not to me, but to him. 
The sheep hear God's voice. However, at the exact same time, this should actually produce a zealousness in us to preach in such a way where everybody can have a chance to believe upon Jesus. This should produce such zeal in us that it should actually shake our passivity. And so understanding this doctrine that God is sovereign over salvation, okay, should uh, uh, free us from paralyzing fear, but it should also exhilarate us for uh, going to preach. It should not make us passive, This doctrine overcomes paralyzation and passivity, okay? We who understand this should be most fervent in proclaiming Christ. Let's go back in a little bit in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter one, uh, starting there in verse three. It says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, okay, this is God's love for us. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace in which he has blessed us in the beloved. God has not just predestined or chosen us for salvation, but even for sanctification, the scripture says, right? Like Philippians 1 verse 6 says, he who began a good work in you, it's he who began the good work in you. He will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Not might, not there's a possibility. God who began a good work will bring it to completion. He started it, he will finish it. It is God who saves. It is God who brings us to him, God who will glorify us in him. So what is there to fear? What is there to fear? If it is God who saves, then what is there to fear? Like, if God chose me before the foundation of the world, like the text says, then man, everybody, if I don't know Jesus, I want everybody to tell me because I'm going to come to him. He chose me. And I'm going to hear his voice, maybe through you. Right? Romans 8. Go back a little bit to Paul's pinnacle book, a lot of people would say. Romans chapter 8. Starting in verse 29, which I, I love the irony of this. This is after verse 28, which is almost everybody's favorite verse. Now let's actually just read verse 28 too. <laughs> and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Amen. Hallelujah. Okay. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. It's God who started it even before you were born, before the foundation of the world. God started it, he called you, and he will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. In the middle of Paul's most theological, kind of heady chapter, he drops in this massive doctrine, okay, like, like why, we have to ask. He wants them to know it's God who saves. But Paul is pleading with them all throughout, this, all throughout this book. Look, come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. He's good. He wants you to come to him. Come, come, come. But it is God who saves. If we believe that salvation is completely dependent on us and how we preach, it will paralyze us. However, if we think salvation belongs to the Lord, yet he uses us in the midst of this, it will overcome our passivity. Under, are y'all tracking with that? Understanding this will help overcome both extremes of what we will go to, paralyzation or passivity, okay? Because the Bible unashamedly proclaims both, that God chooses and that we have choice, okay? Let me actually give you two more quick examples. Go back to Acts. Acts chapter 13. We're going to fly through these, okay? Acts chapter 13, verse 48. Verse 48. 
And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. They were appointed by who? By Paul? (laughs) No, hopefully not. (laughs) Okay. They were appointed by God. Okay. There are over 20 direct predestination, election, chosen type verses in scripture. Okay. And there are tons of more indirect ones. All right. But then, okay, just jump down a couple of verses. Look at uh, chapter 14, verse one. Now at Iconium, they entered together in the Jewish synagogue. Listen, and they spoke, okay, in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. Wait, so which one is it? Was it Paul speaking in such a way that they believed or was it just God choosing people, right? Yes, okay. Jump forward to Acts chapter 27. Acts chapter 27 Pick it up in verse 21. They're in the middle of a boat, okay? In the middle of a great storm is a terrible moment for Paul and the whole crew. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up amongst them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must go stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all, or God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that this will be exactly as I have been told. God is sovereign. He's going to save you. We're not going to die. Okay. And four verses later, look at verse 30. As the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship and lowered the ship's boat into the sea, which by the way, when a ship is crashing, seems like a logical good thing to do. Get out of this ship. It is crashing. We all saw the Titanic. That's not good, right? So they're trying to get into the sea, okay? The ship's boat into the sea. uh, Under the pretense of laying out the anchors from the boat, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless those men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. What? Wait a minute, Paul. You just said nobody would perish. Now you're saying if they don't do this, they're they're not going to be saved. Is God sovereign? Yes, of course. Are we robots? No, by no means. It is both and at the same time, and the Bible unashamedly lays this out, okay? Now, if this sounds a little bit beyond our little boxes of our mind, that's a good thing. We must be then traveling amongst the mysteries of God here. If God can fit within the little confines of our mind, we are not serving God but ourselves. But if scripture lays out something that's kind of hard for our mind to grapple with, how can it be both and at the same time? We don't really understand that. God is outside of our time. God is outside of us. This must be something that God is, uh, by the Holy Spirit, encouraging these men to write. Because think if you were trying to write something to convince the whole world about the beauty of Jesus. Would you put something so contradictory, just a couple of verses away from each other? You would know better. You would go, people are going to read this and go, wait a minute, which one is it? And we see this all throughout scripture, okay? However, it must be God then who can save, yet we have a responsibility. Now here's what this means in regards to evangelism, okay? Here's what this means though. We have nothing to fear. Why? Because it is God who saves, God who saves. We just read that. God calls men to himself. 
And now all we have to do is we have to pray for our boldness to actually be the conduits that bring about that salvation. Like God wants to use you to help lead other people into his kingdom. How beautiful is that? God would not only choose you, but then use you to help other people understand who he is. Um, when I was uh, at something called leadership training um, back in so it was like 2006 or something, okay? Um, I am uh, sitting amongst a group of people and I was just kind of sitting there and I was like worshiping and I was in the second row and I was worshiping, I had my eyes closed, okay? I often close my eyes when I worship. So like, my eyes are closed, but you know how when your eyes are closed and you know somebody's looking at you? You know what I mean? Like you could just feel it. It's like some sixth sense or something, okay? And so my eyes are closed. I'm like, man, somebody is mean bugging me, right? That means really looking at me and dirtily, Okay. <laughs> I open my eyes, and there's a little girl that's sitting in front of me. It's not a little girl. She's actually a woman. She's probably about 25, okay? Um, but <laughs> it'll be even worse when I now explain this. So she had a, 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 a mental handicap, okay? So she had never progressed past like about a one-and-a-half-year-old mark, all right? And so she had a little bit of communication, but not a whole lot. And, um, you know, she's a 25-year-old, but she's still uh, operating in her brain as if she's one to one and a half. So I was like, oh, okay. Like, that's, that's totally fine. You know, she's just, she's looking at me, whatever. So I kind of close my eyes. I love you, Lord. Right? I'm like, why is this girl, I'm just trying to worship Jesus. Like, I mean, I help her to look at the band or something, you know? And then about clear as day, I feel like the Lord said, hey, lay your hands on her and pray for her healing. I was like, I'm just going to keep singing. And I lift my voice, right? I'm just trying to worship you, God. I ain't trying to do all this crazy stuff, right? So all of a sudden, I hear the Lord again. Hey, lay your hands on her and pray for her. I said, God, I know it's not smart to try to reason with you, but I'm going to try. Do you know how many people probably laid hands on that little girl and prayed for her? And then when she was a teen, they laid hands on her and prayed for her. And then when she was an adult, they laid hands on her and prayed for her. Do you know how distraught that must make her father? To see over and over and over again, people praying and no healing happening. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to put him through this. I felt like what the Lord said was, okay. Whenever God says, okay, <laughs> that's bad, right? <laughs> So I was like, okay, wait, 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 no, Lord, no, 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 Lord. Okay, how about I pray for her in my head? I'm not gonna lay hands on her, that's just awkward. But I'm gonna pray, God, heal this little girl, heal her right now. I started praying, right? All of a sudden, the way we were sitting is kind of how our chairs are, they're slanted. And so I'm sitting over here and way in the back of church, all right? Literally from the very last row, kind of in my peripheral, I see this guy get up, excuse himself, walk down the center aisle, walk up and say something to this dad, couldn't really hear what they said, and then he laid hands on her and started praying for her. I felt so hurt. It wasn't, it was God's, or it wasn't God's fault, it was my fault. I, I rejected the calling of God, right? And he got done, I'm like, this little girl is gonna like turn to a 25 year old all of a sudden, right? Like she's gonna catch up, like she's gonna be healed, you know? And then got done, nothing happened. And the father said to him, very, very clear, okay, and my ear, like, I was sitting right there, right? He said, I was having such a hard day today. I was having a really hard time believing in the goodness of God. And every time somebody prays for my little girl, I remember that people care and that God is good and that he's present and that he's there. Thank you. And then he walked away, and I started weeping. <laughs> I'm so sorry, God, right? 
Now, I think, I think when we're talking about salvation, that's what often happens to us. God calls us to be bold for the sake of the gospel. We go, God, you don't understand. This is my boss. I'm at a place where I can't share. I don't know this person that well. I've never even seen them before. And whatever excuse may be, and we begin to excuse it and excuse it, but God's will is going to be accomplished. The question is, will you be a part of that? Will you allow God to use you in such a way in which you bring about healing, which you bring about even the story and the beauty of the gospel that people would be saved? God wants to use us, okay? And so it's easy for us to think, well, if God has this under control, God's going to do what he's going to do. I'm just not going to do anything. But this should shake our passivity because God's will will be accomplished, but he may use you in the process. And so it should overcome our passivity and our paralyzation. And it should make us bold for the sake of the gospel. There is nothing to fear. Perfect love casts out all fear, in fact, right? And so at this moment, here's what I know, okay? I know that natural human emotion, it would be easy for us to feel guilt, like we know we should be doing more than we should. We, we know we should be sharing more. We, we might feel ashamed of not opening our mouth as much as we know we ought to, okay? But we talked about already, guilt is a very, very bad motivator. Here's what a good motivator is, is to look to Jesus, our perfect example of this. Jesus, in the Garden of Gethsemane, was overcome by fear in a lot of ways, Now, it didn't overcome him to the sense that it paralyzed him, but we all of a sudden see this fear. Christ experienced more fear than any of us could imagine. In fact, add up all of our fear right now in this room and combine it together, and it doesn't even fractionally hit the amount of fear that Christ felt at that time. Because what he knew is that he was about to take on the wrath of God, the sins of the world, upon himself. That God, whom he had a perfect relationship, would turn his face away from him, would punish him for you and I's sins that we should have been punished for. And Jesus was going to pay that for us. Jesus knew this was coming. And so he began to sweat blood. Okay? This is a, a medical condition uh, called hematidrosis. It happens when you're under tremendous amount of pressure and fear. It's an actual medical thing. It only happens when you're thinking about fear and you're thinking about what could happen. Your body kind of freaks out on you and blood vessels break inside. And when you sweat, blood comes out. So we see Jesus in a true amount of fear. However, at that moment, Christ had boldness. And instead of being overcome by fear, he walked right into the midst of it and was bold. And because of that, you and I can now call ourselves Christians if you believe in Jesus. Because Jesus was not overcome by fear, but he walked in boldness at that moment. And he went and died on the cross for our sins, suffering for us that we may know him. He gave up his desire, his rights to go and be a a proclaimer, a living example, our substitution, the gospel for us. And then he calls us on a much lesser level, but very similarly to do the same, to give up our rights to give up our desire to please man, to give up our selfishness, our our fear, to give that up and to give it to him and to live as his example for the sake of the gospel. Christ was our ultimate example. He faced shame that we would be shamed no more. He faced all of our guilt that we would no longer have to feel guilty. Christ through his shed blood now brings forgiveness of sins, but Christ was bold through his fears that we may no longer be gripped by fear. Fear does not come from the Lord we just read, 
No more fear in death. We don't have to be afraid of what happens to us when we die. No more fear in man. What is man going to do to us? It is God who judges, right? Now we get to be an example of that love. Or we can, like me at LT, sit and do nothing. God's will is going to be done. But we won't get to experience God in that process. Philemon 6, Paul is praying that, that in the sharing of their faith, they would understand the fullness of God. He says, when you share your faith, this is how you know the fullness of God. You understand God more and more and more, the fullness of him, when you proclaim about him, when we are obedient to what God has called us to do, we see him in more profound ways. We experience what Christ has experienced, and he's able to suffer with us even in those processes. We're able to see him more and more. Perfect love casts out all fear, 1 John 4 tells us. And Christ's love was perfect for us and over us. So let this drive away your fear then. That perfect love cast out fear and help it to make you fall more in love with him that out of your love for him, you would be overwhelmed with the goodness of the gospel and that you would open your mouth and proclaim that goodness to others. I know this is hard. I know this is hard. It's hard for me. But would we be a people that would imitate Christ and be bold the way that he calls us to. I love you guys. Let's pray. God, I pray.